Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. You're listening to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 39. Just a reminder, you can find my shows and notes at callthatgirl.biz slash office365 or at callthatgirl.podbean.com. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can go to youtube.com slash callthatgirl where I have a lot of how-to videos and other little uh, FYIs you need to know about Microsoft Office and Outlook. Now this show is about Microsoft Outlook and Office 365, Microsoft Exchange migrations, and other technically entertaining stories I can share from my past week or so. Please remember, if you need help learning Office 365, I am available for hire by the hour or project, as well I give tech discounts for referrals. You can reach me at lisa at callthatgirl.biz. As usual, before we get going, I'd like to take a moment to thank our show sponsor, App River. AppRiver are the best email and web security specialist I know, and they offer phenomenal Office 365 sales and support. And they've been my preferred vendor for almost three years now. I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. If you have listened to my past shows, you've heard me speak about them often, and you can set up a time to talk to my sales rep, Steve Harris, at sharris at appriver.com. All right, folks, well, let's get on with the show here. Today is February 20th, 2016. I am still in Las Vegas, and it's a gorgeous day here, finally. I know that a lot of people don't uh, don't know this, but Vegas gets a little cold in December and January. I did not know that when I moved here, but it looks like I've got uh, some nice weather for a little while, and then will come the heat. <laughs> so uh, Vegas is about 100 degrees all summer and higher, and uh, apparently I found out that when you live here, you live inside in the summer. And uh, you only go out at dark, and I'm learning that slowly. That's the joys of moving to a whole new territory. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Uh, This week was actually uh, still kind of a a weird week. Uh, I had a little bit of after-migration catch-up and a little fine-tuning to do, which is, you you know, to be expected with any migration. Uh, 14 people, they all have their own little problems. And we came across a couple other issues, but they were all fixed. But I think this last two weeks in February, I noticed, um, and I think a few other texts have said this as well, that it was kind of slow. And and not only was it slow, but the jobs were messed up. Uh, one of my texts was talking about there's a lot of crypto virus stuff coming out, getting real hard to do and deal with. I mean, they're doing it, but it's just, you know, there's just a lot coming out. And for me, while the techs are dealing with the computer viruses and all that ish, those issues, I'm dealing with a whole other uh, can of worms here called the um, Microsoft Office 365 2016 battle. It's really call that girl versus Microsoft Office 2016 at this point. So I'm going to talk about that on the show. I've got a lot of notes for that, and I'm just going to kind of outline the problems I'm experiencing. But before we do that, we'll talk, of course, about some of the jobs I did this week and um, some fun things. And my next week. <laughs> I'm a little excited for that. So uh, this week I had a client yesterday, actually it was yesterday, and they called in and, and it was late in the day and they said, I have a 66 gig PST file that I cannot get open in Outlook. And to me, when I hear the word 66 gig PST, that to me is a definite Outlook surgery. And when you take on these calls, if you dare to, <laughs> they're 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 pretty big jobs. They're you know they're they're one to four hours, and it's never an hour. But I always have to quote that to the client because I've learned from my past to manage expectations. And the client, um, I did a little profile checking on him. I could tell that you know he wasn't uh, the kind of guy that works from home over the weekend. So I said. Well, look, if you want to, we can get started tonight and I can take it for the weekend and, and fix it. And what I love about jobs like this is the client doesn't have to be involved. This is totally just me and the technology and me kind of massaging Outlook to the point where I can break down that PST and get it to, um, it would be multiple PSTs at this point, probably like seven, eight of them, maybe even more. 
and then I do my uh, my level of perfection with it. I sort it by years, sent inbox, all that stuff, and having a weekend to do it is really nice because literally uh, I can just take my time. And uh, he agreed, so we started that last night. And first thing I always do with a, a super big, you know, uh, you know, PST this size is I always make a backup copy of it before I do any work. So I recommend you don't do the fixing on the original file. Always make a copy, and then that is your, like, playground. So after I made the, the copy, I also you also want to make sure that there's enough hard drive space for the copy, because I've had that problem before, too, <laughs> where clients don't have enough space on the hard drive, and it becomes a little more, you know, detail work. But uh, so after I got that done, then I... I was trying to open a test profile in Outlook with my copy. And sometimes that works. And that is, you know, a new profile. It's everything's fresh. And there's no email attached. It's email only. And that failed for me. So then I had to get out the next level, which is let's see if the original profile still opens. Now, there's a couple snags with the 2010 Outlook. It says uh, verifying data integrity, I believe. And that's when everything's kind of broken. But if you let it sit long enough, Outlook generally will open. And uh, this took about an hour for this to open. And finally, when it did, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to get the data. I have to get it while it's open. Now, the easiest thing to do once Outlook opens a file that large is to go look at the mailbox size, which this client actually only had 43 gigs. The OST file which I actually believe it was a PST also because it was a pop account. It had 66 gigs. So we have a data corruption of 23 gigs of data. So at that point, I tried to export the data and it wouldn't let me. And instead of being frustrated, again, I went and created a new PST and uh, changed that in the Outlook uh, email account to be default. And then it would let me export. Now, we're dealing with email from the 90s probably. You know, that's still a heavy amount of data. And uh, Outlook 2010 can only hold so much before it just kind of collapses on itself. So I got the export done. Uh, let's see. I think I started it last night about quarter to 10. And by 7.30 this morning, it finished. And I absolutely cannot believe I stayed remoted in that whole time. And I cannot believe that it actually did a complete export. So that to me was a good sign that, you know, the data is without having to use tools, I could still get to it. And then I tried opening the new PST file and it would not let me open it. And then I think what else did I try? I tried something else and then I lost connection with the client. So it's kind of bummed. So right now you're getting the first half of the story. Next show, you'll get the second half. Uh, the second half is where, you know, that's where I kind of get in and start doing my fancy work, you know, to, to you know, depart all of this email and things. But uh, uh, at this point, Outlook 2010 is not going to be the right, um, the right version for this client. He does have Windows 10. So it's very fast, but, you know, that's a lot of data to, to deal with. Um, remember, Outlook is a database. Well, actually, Outlook is a program that uses a database of sorts to manage all that mail context and calendar. So next week, I'll fill you guys in on what happens with the rest of this. I'm waiting on the client to call me back to get connected again, and we'll see how that goes. But that was kind of like my exciting end of the week because last week with uh, – the other issues I had with off, uh, excuse me, Outlook 2016, I wasn't too thrilled with some of the work. And um, I'll talk about that here in a minute. I kind of got off track, but I want to, the whole show is about Outlook 2016, though. Uh, for those that work with the IMAP a lot, um, I had another client call in, and when I, they said, you know, look, everything in my IMAP is gone, but the inbox is there. With IMAP, here's what can happen, and there's two things that can happen. One is for some weird reason, somebody at one point had shut off IMAP folder structures either from the hosting end, which is rare, or from another 
I don't. I actually, I want to say Outlook, but I don't know how it happened because I actually tested this IMAP on my own computer, and the folders did not show up. Now, just remember, if you go to set up IMAP and they don't show up, you can go to the IMAP. Um, oh, I want to look here, see if it's in my Outlook or not. Uh, it's in the folder button at the top of Outlook, and in there you can pick the IMAP folders. And what happens is when you can run a query. And then it'll show you all the real folders. You can subscribe to the folders. Then you uh, have a little button that says show folder, um, show folders in Outlook. I think it's, I think that's the words. And then you close Outlook and relaunch it and all of the folders for IMAP should show up again. And that's where all the people's full, uh, emails were. And then just remember that in IMAP, sometimes it puts a filter on. So if you see the folders, but you don't see the email at the bottom of your Outlook, uh, go look on the left at the bottom. It says filters applied. Then you have to clear that. And then you double click filters applied, hit clear all. I'll actually put a link to my video. It's a lot easier to, to watch it. But that's a learning lesson for those that are dealing with IMAP because with the different versions of Outlook, it does a lot of different things. And um, I, I know how to troubleshoot that really quick now, but uh, I, don't, I don't know if uh, it's, you know, something that it's day-to-day -day knowledge. But that, to me, is something I check all the time. And so I'm just letting you folks know that. Okay, let me see what else I had this week for jobs that were interesting. I really just was kind of overwhelmed with these, this Outlook uh, 2016 drama I had. Maybe I'll just start in on that because that's going to be a lot. So in the last uh, few months since Outlook 2016 came out, uh, came out what last fall, and I did the preview myself on my own computer, and I hated it. It crashed me out about every half hour. I would start to work. It crashed me out. I was using Exchange. Nothing. I was on Windows 7, and I was so frustrated with it freezing and crashing that I had to downgrade. Now it's kind of embarrassing you know, as a Outlook technician to say I had to downgrade, but it was actually my work computer and I, I wasn't functioning at my level I need to. And it was causing me, you know, to not work well. So I downgraded. And then I, I kind of put some blogs out there about it and was trying to just let people know that, look, if I'm having problems with the general install and I'd done some troubleshooting, you know, it wasn't like I didn't try, I couldn't get it to work. So then as the months go by, um, I take all these calls from clients, and and for the most part, I'm able to fix things. And sometimes the fixes turn out to be, um, excuse me, longer than I'm used to. And like, let's just—I'll give you an example. Uh, Outlook 2016 does not allow Microsoft Exchange manual setup anymore, and that can become a huge hassle for me because I don't know what I'm dealing with when I get a call. Like, I don't know where someone's hosting is. I don't know their settings, their DNS. That's not standard knowledge to my end users even. So if I go in to troubleshoot their Outlook 2016 or set them up, and I can't because of um, the 2016 doesn't have the manual setup, you, ha you just can't if they don't have auto-discover setup either. So already I'm at a roadblock. And let's just put it this way, that I've spent – endless hours troubleshooting that I cannot build clients for. And it's really hard to build a client for, let's say, even two or three hours of troubleshooting a software. It's not even what's inside Outlook. It's the software itself. And if I can't fix that quickly, then I can't build the clients because it's really not their fault. It's the software. And in the past few weeks, I've had to deal with at least five or six clients that were hosed up because of the software. And I spent, you know, a lot of time trying to fix it. That I just kind of uh, had to make some decisions with the business and, and dealing with the software itself is, you know, I'm not going to spend four hours troubleshooting anymore and pull my hair out when a downgrade is the better option. And I don't believe that downgrading is a sign of failure with, with the work I'm doing and with the work you're doing. It's sometimes the best option because, you know, the Office 2016 suite is just, in my opinion, not ready yet. And you can't 
fine tune the problems down to what operating system the client has because it's across the board every single operating system so far seven eight and ten and uh i'll get into my notes here in just a second but i i you know i just gotta say that you know in our world we're billable and it's frustrating to spend that time and not bill a client and you just can't do it anymore so here I've got a bunch of notes for, this is what I'm calling my technical tips for 2016. And before I start, I'm going to tell you guys, there's one special note I want to make sure you know of, is when I was talking to the hosting company of a client this week, I, I, I was on their instant chat and I uh, said, look, I need um, this information the manual setup, and because I, you know, I was trying to explain to him my situation, and he actually said, "Oh, well, what we tell clients is to <laughs> this doesn't make any sense." I believe he said downgrade from 2016 to Office 365. I'm like, dude, it's the same thing, and he didn't understand it. And I said, because he doesn't work in it. He's he deals with hosting and email, so he doesn't work with the clients. So just so anybody's just not sure, when you talk about Office 365, that's a subscription model. To You're kind of leasing the software, and what you're leasing for the Office 365 home is just the software, and you get Skype and OneDrive. And the software is the Office 2016 suite. And that's the one where you can have five you know, people on it, and it's family shared, or small businesses use it. I don't know if they're supposed to, but whatever. Then there is the Office 2016 software that you can buy standalone once, and there is no subscription, but it does not have the words Office 365 with it. Okay. And then there's also 365 for business, which is the robust version, which has the Office 2016, the Skype for business, uh, SharePoint, OneDrive, Yammer, and OneNote. So just, just before we get going here, Office 365 is subscription, and Office 2016 is standalone, but within Office 365, you get the Office 2016. Okay, so then I'm going to let you know before we get moving ahead here that if you need to call Microsoft, uh, you have to remember that the standalone version, you cannot downgrade. That there is no downgrade available. You have to call and get a refund, and then they have to purchase it somehow for you special, which I don't know why they do it that way. But um, anyway, so I'm going to go back to my notes here. Sorry, gang. It's a little confusing, but all right. So I'm going to start with the tips of things I've experienced, and then I'll go through this list. So just keep in mind that you no longer can manually set up Exchange and Outlook 2016 at all. There is no option for it. And if you get failures, like such as... um, you're trying to set it up, it might say Outlook cannot log on, or you're not connected to the network, or the profile may just never set up, that's a sign that you have problems, okay? Now, you could try to um, go fix their DNS with the auto-discover. That's going to take you more time, and sometimes you're chasing the DNS again, trying to figure that out. Sometimes their their uh, DNS control panel is outdated, and to me, that's just more time waste, so you're better off doing the downgrade. And you will know instantly if you're going to have problems because I've set up 2016 plenty of times with Exchange that worked perfectly. And those, those people I don't have a problem with. It's only when I experience the problems. Second problem is, is that clients that are using Office 2013 right now, they're getting a pop-up button that says, please upgrade your your, I think it says, please upgrade. And there's really nothing else involved except clicking the upgrade button. And I had a client last week that actually had helped, and then they called Microsoft for a password issue, and the tech logged in and clicked the upgrade button for this person, causing a big problem. And so I had to fix all that for that client again. And there's really nothing you can do because not every computer is happy with Office 2016. So you got to watch out for that upgrade button. And um, here's what I tell people when they ask me if they should upgrade. I say, if everything's working fine right now, do not upgrade. The only time we upgrade people is when we have a problem with the current software. That's my, that's, 
how I figure it. And if I'm helping them, then I already know kind of what's going on, so I should figure out if the upgrade's going to work or not. Not always. Okay. Um, those random errors, there is plenty out there in Google. So when you do get an error with any kind of installation, go ahead and uh, try to check out the forums to see what other people are doing. But uh, again, you can get caught up in the mess. And one of my blogs out there is uh, highly ranked if you search the words, Outlook cannot log on. And if you search those words and you see my blog, you're going to see that I already have three updates on it. It's a big mess. And what I'm trying to do is steer people and technicians to finding the right fix. But at this point, I'm just saying you can you can edit the registry. You can do all this stuff. And, and honestly, it's just so much hassle that downgrading is still the answer at this point, at least for me and my time. And uh, and I hate to make this such a big announcement, but to me, I just am just so frustrated. <laughs> okay, another thing you will notice if you go into Outlook 2016 is when you're looking at the data files in the excuse me the app data folder, that 2016 when you go to set up a new profile actually creates a file that is 16,464 KB. You might see a profile create that plus the uh, other file for the, the exchange. Now, if you see that 16,464, that to me is a corrupted attempt at your profile. And that can cause you a lot of problems. I've troubleshooted this enough to know. So if you're having problems and you go look in the update folder and you see that, it's a time to downgrade probably. 2013 does not do that KB file. Now, many of you, have, if you're troubleshooting Outlook, you do know that it does have a default size of its PST of 265K, and that's standard. That means there's no data in that file. Okay, so that's typical. The 16,464 is not typical, and that to me is a sign of it's not going to work well. You could try deleting it. You could try everything in the world. It still is not going to work. Well, for my opinion, anyway. So it's time to downgrade. Um, let's see. All right. And we covered about the standalone office. You cannot downgrade. And so here we're going to talk about how to downgrade if you have Office 365. I've yet to have a, an experience with someone who purchased it. But now that I know, I know to tell people to buy the subscription. <laughs> Moving ahead, I will be doing that. The standalone to me is, it sounds like trouble. Okay, so uh, here's what you do if you need to downgrade your office. And if, um, and if you're helping a client, I, I recommend the subscription model just for, these, for this purpose. So you have to have the client log in with their credentials to start. Then at the top of the Office 365 is a support link where you can chat with the technician. And then once you get the chat rolling, all you need to do is just tell them that you're having experiences or challenges or difficulties with 2016 and you need to be downgraded to 2013. They're going to ask for your information, your name, email, email ID, all that kind of stuff. But once it's done... They should give you no resistance. I've had zero resistance to uh, the downgrade so far. And I haven't even had, I've yet to even tell them I'm a technician. I just act as the client and I just say, we're experiencing challenges with exchange. You might want to say that because they have said that they're very aware of this issue and they will downgrade. So then what they do is in their tools on their side, they give you the option to install the 2013 but it's kind of hidden. Now, they'll walk you through it, but basically when you click on, um, excuse me, when you're logged in and you see the orange install button, underneath there is advanced install options. You click on that, and then I think there's another option below it, and then you can see all of your options, 2013, 32-bit, 64-bit, uh, and that's that's really gives you the full arena of everything you can do, arena, sorry. Just gives you all of the options. Okay, so then what I do is once they downgrade is I go to the control panel, I uninstall the current version, I reboot, and then I install the new version. 
And just to let you guys know that it took me about 45 minutes the other day to do a downgrade. I troubleshooted the issue. I knew it was going to be a downgrade. We immediately went for that, and I had their exchange set up and happy as a climb in 45 minutes. That, to me, is an appropriate billable call. And if I had not done it that way, it would have been hours of me trying to troubleshoot and, again, not billable because I just can't bill for that kind of stuff. So to me, that was a nice, quick job, done and done. And they had actually called in with the problem, you know, so it wasn't working well. Okay, and then for the, let me see my notes here. Uh, for those that don't work with Office, well, I've talked about that, I guess. Um, I'm actually going to have all these notes from the show put in a blog that'll be in my uh, show notes. I'm writing it up, and a few of my friends out there in the tech world are going to be passing along this information. Uh, just remember that I'm not doing this to um, offend anybody or to be like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. It's just I work in this world every day, and Office 2016 has just become such a battle that I want to save other people from having the same problem. And the clients are actually going to be thankful too if you just follow follow the lead because if you're trying to troubleshoot stuff, they can't use their computer. And that's not what you want. You want them to be able to you know, get things done and set up and they can be on their way. So if you have the appropriate information, you can offer them the solution. And, you know, the two of the solutions I'm offering is this. So when clients call in moving ahead uh, and I have to troubleshoot the software, I'm going to give them two choices. Now, I don't feel it's fair to bill my 139 an hour to troubleshoot the software, but one of the options that they will get is you can use my, uh, my white label support company, they will troubleshoot it for you. It'll be at a lower fee, uh, but you are going to pay for every minute that they're trying to fix this. That's only for people that maybe have to have Outlook 2016 or just want to be on the latest and greatest. But the second option is to just call Microsoft and have them do it, and they will remote in, and they will fix their software, and, and that's fine, and I don't mind handing the work back to Microsoft if they can fix the software. I still have to do uh, a lot of the work inside Outlook when I get, you know, they're not going to probably do the configuring and fixing and all of that. They're going to get the software working, and that's the point. And um, I think they also get a free year of service when they purchase that. And I want to remind people that that's why you should use them for the software portion of it because, you know, I don't know. I just, I just am kind of like, you know, if they're breaking it, they should fix it. And I don't want the clients to uh, get a huge bill when they're paying for it. And I know that we do, you know, like when we have Windows 8 and Windows 10 and all that. But everybody's had their fair share calling Microsoft before, and we have to do it. It's our world. We work with Microsoft products. So moving ahead, they can hire my techs to do it, then call Microsoft, and then call me back. And um, I'll let you guys know how that goes. I'm going to be doing that moving ahead today, actually. I'm just starting it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And... Um, I'm hoping other techs learn, and and I know there's a few on Facebook uh, in the IT owners group I'm in. I try to tell them my woes. <laughs> it's always exciting. Um, let's see what else I got here for you guys. I kind of jumped to my story right away because I just was so into that. Um, it's kind of my hot button right now. All right, gang, well, I think we're going to go back to my little story uh, that I've been telling. I'm sorry I missed it last week. I totally forgot with Robin, our migration. I got so excited about talking about that that I spaced off my little my little computer story of Lisa in the past years. But uh, I left off with the story uh, last time. It was actually three shows ago because I had, I had DC Glenn on and then Rob. Um uh, my little computer stories from high school and Oregon Trail and, and uh, working at the phone company. And so I'm going to start off with, I think it was like in 92 or 93, my uncle worked at IBM. And it was one of the big plants in in Minnesota. And he, of course, got you know an opportunity to buy a computer. And I remember him and my aunt got a computer. And I was like, what do you do on it? <laughs> like... 
and my aunt was like, I don't know. She had her stuff. She did. My uncle had his stuff. And I, since I didn't have one, I, I seriously didn't know what to do. So my first little experience on the computer, remember I hadn't really touched one since high school. That was many years. Is I created a place. Um, I wish I had that, that file now. I I just kept a list of all the apartments I lived at. And I just thought it was neat that I could just type and it was there on the computer. And every time I come visit, I would just, you know, that was my little file I had. I didn't really do much. But we did um, get connected to AOL. And my brother used to jump on the chat all the time. And I thought it was really cool that you could talk to all these people and not knowing who they are. But you could just chat with people. And... I, you know, I didn't form any relationships or do anything, but that was the old days, you know, where you, you you had to put the disc in, I think, and you got like so many hours for free or something with the dial up and, uh, so you didn't have to pay for it and you could subscribe. But, but to me, that's when things started happening. And that's when I started hearing my friends buying computers and I had a, a roommate that had a computer and, he had the dial-up modem where he actually put the phone into the phone thing and dialed into his school. And it made like, you know, the noises of the modem. And I remember like going, Oh, he's in university. He's so cool. You know? And I remember, uh, one time we got into a fight and he actually, can you believe this? Took the time to write me a bitch note, single spaced on his computer. And I remember looking at that going, you got to be kidding me. You didn't have enough time to double space for me. And I even knew that from typing class that you double space when you want people to read stuff. And I was so angry with him that I hated the computer. (laughs) I hated that computer and him and his computer. But then a while later, I had another friend that was kind of, you know, wanting to be a geek. And and he kept saying, you got to get a computer so you can email me. I'm like, why do I want to email you when you can just call me? I mean, I, I was like, what's the point? He goes, well, it's cool. We can talk on the computer. I go, yeah, but we talk on the phone like 10 times a day. So why do you need to email me too? <laughs> well, he kept harping on me to get email. And uh, eventually I moved away from him. And uh, I moved away from him. And let's see, uh, I, I got a job as a waitress. And then I decided to start going to college. And I remember when I got to college, I said, okay, my friend in the twin cities says I need to get this thing called email. And the school told me, well, you can't have email unless you have a college class with email needed. And I said, okay, well, I don't, I mean, I was still just so lost. I didn't even know what it really was. And they, so they pretty much said, no, I couldn't have a school email account. And then I talked to my friend who went to, uh, I went to college at Winona State and I talked to him and, and I said, do you guys get email over there? And he goes, yeah, everybody has email. I said, really? And then I was sitting there wondering why am I going to this small community college when I could be going to the big university and having uh, my own email. <laughs> at that point I was kind of like involved with email without knowing what it even was. So I, I uh, signed up to go to college over about 40 miles away, and it took me a few months to to transition over. I moved there, and I drove over there in my truck, and it was just a beautiful drive through the bluffs of Minnesota, through the Mississippi River Valley, and I, and I had my own truck and all my stuff in the back, and I remember driving and getting there, pulling up to the campus, and literally feeling like, you know, just like a just like a small-town girl, pulling up to the school admissions, getting all my stuff, signing in, and then immediately saying, where's the computer lab? And they were like, it's right upstairs. And the first thing I did was, I want my email account. And they were like, sure. And I I, I remember I was so excited. And then I said, what do I do with it now? (laughs) What do I do with this? I don't even know what to do. I didn't even know what to sign in on the computer, nothing. So then they uh, they said, okay, you have to sit down over here. And these were old old school monitors. I want to say monochrome even, but they were uh, they were dark, they were gray, and they had green, you know, to, where you could type, right? And they basically said, here's how you log into your email. You have to click on this line, which was a believe a command prompt of sorts, 
it was an old VAC system. And you have to log in, and it was like uh, IN percent quote to send emails. I mean, it was very old school, like no graphics. It was all line-based. And uh, I didn't really know anybody to email to, so I emailed my friend up in Minneapolis. And we just uh, you know, would email each other, but it was so more simple to call. But back then, you had long distance, and I didn't live close. So I, I tried getting into the email. And... Uh, I wasn't with the the Vax the Vax system. That was what it was called. I believe Vax is a Unix based system. Uh, I I I'm not really sure. I'm sure I'll get corrected on this, but it's just very you know command line prompt driven work. You know, there's no graphics. I was only at the school about I don't know a few weeks, and I started realizing that I should probably use the Macintoshes because someone was showing me how to do email over there. So I switched from the Vax over to the Macintosh, and the the Macs had more. Uh, the thing was called Fetch or something, our internet. I mean, it was just so old school, and everything was just you know. I mean, back then it was cool, but but the email programs. I started finding ways to email people and learning more about email, and I just literally spent like every day at the computer lab I could. I mean, I was just really interested in all of it, and. Uh, I don't know. I spent so much time in there that the student lab attendants started asking me questions about stuff because, you know, when you see someone there that's there a lot, you want to help, you know, want their help if you can't figure it out. So eventually I told the, the lab manager, I was like, I mean, I knew him at that point. I was like, how come I can't work here? He was like, well, you could, but you need work study. And I said, what's that? He goes, well, you have to go sign up with the financial aid office. And then that comes out of your student loan stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'll go do that. And I said, if I do that, will you hire me? He goes, yeah. Well, okay. So I remember I'd put in a lot of time for free helping people. And then I got the work study. And then I started working and I got to sit behind the counter. <laughs> and that's where I called that my command center. I got to work behind the counter. And all of the people that worked there, I kind of consider them people who worked for me. <laughs> I shouldn't have, but... That's how I kind of felt. And I had my schedule of hours. And eventually, uh, a few months later, they said, during the summer, we're going to revamp the Mac lab into a PC lab. And I was like, what's a PC? I had no idea. Remember, all I knew was Vax and Mac. And they were like, it's just a, a computer. You know, it's like what we all use. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so they closed down the old Mac lab, they redid it, and, and they put in all the air conditioning and all the things. And when they opened it, I was like, whoa, 70 PCs all in their glory, brand new. I had no idea what I was doing. And the the techs that I worked with, I will give them this. There they were network tech, student techs who really, you know, their their joy of their day was not really helping students with computer problems. The joy of their day was uh, working as networking students who played Doom all day and what other computer games in their back room with the door shut that they played because I remember I was the only, like, tech, you know, who was trying to help people, banging on doors. No one would help me except one guy named Micah. He was always helpful. Uh, so anyway, I pretty much was given the keys to the PC room and they said, learn this computer. And it was Windows 95 and I'd never seen it before and it was nothing like the Mac and it was definitely nothing like the Vax. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know how to do this. I didn't even know anything about it. And as I played around and figured things out, I realized um, the more I asked for help, that the guys would help me all they could, but I was kind of getting, you know kind of stuck and there really was no Google <laughs> to Google things. So I literally learned from helping people and I realized this cool thing called the right click, which didn't have on the back of the Sorry folks, just had a little tech glitch there. So uh anyway, I learned the right click and uh I found all these cool things that you couldn't do on the Mac. And that's when I started really getting into it. And I think what I learned what I loved the most about working at the student lab was I just loved helping people. And the email was just, you know, part of it because not a lot of people there enjoyed helping with email anyway. But I um, I got into email 
because I used to go out and smoke with the uh, Vax administrator, who we called the the Unix God, and uh, out smoking on the back steps, he would uh, talk about what he did, and I was like, well, here's what I do, and he was like, hey, do you want to come help me do the email accounts? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So then I kind of had a little control in the world, you know. So we had this system where if you wanted an email account at the school, you had to fill out this form. And the form was really bad. It had no, like, good, you know, information on it that I needed to do all this work. So, of course, I started uh, making new forms for people. And that, to me, was, like, one of the first things uh, I started realizing I loved about college was that my mind got set up for processes and, and things like that because I wanted to be more efficient. So I made the new forms and then people signed up email and then I did it when I came in and nobody else had access to it. I told the Vax guy, I said, do not let anybody else do it because they're doing it wrong because I always had to fix those problems. And eventually, you know, when you start doing one job that really nobody else does well, you start to get acknowledgement for that. And in, uh, in my college years, um, I worked on a few projects for email with the with the the computer uh, team there. One was that we had a, a program called Mulberry that actually managed our email, and that was just software on the PC side. I think it was on the Mac too. I'm not sure, but um, I offered. Well, I didn't offer, but I was you know part of the the email team for uh, the freshmen. So in, I don't know, in the beginning of the school year, I had to do the training for the Smallberry program, and I set up one-hour classes, and there was probably 100, 150 people in this big auditorium, and I trained it. And to me, that was like my glory, you know? I was like, I got to train this whole team of people, or not team, but this whole group of students, and, and I knew the Mulberry program really well. And then our university went to, and you can see here where it's going to start to roll to, IBM products. Uh, we went to Lotus Notes for the whole university, and the I think it was the the software trainer for the school. She started picking up on a lot of the work I was doing, and she asked me to come work for her. And uh, she was like, "Yeah, you get your own office and everything downstairs." And I was like, "Cool, that sounds fun." And I'd actually have business cards and my own title. And uh, she said I was in charge of setting up all the training for all the students in this small training room. But she didn't tell me that I was in charge of the marketing either. And I did not know a lot about marketing back then. So I would actually spend my student work hours down at, at sitting next to her and creating these formats for training. And uh, But I'd set them up, but no one would come. And honestly, I just wasn't feeling like my dynamic self. I wasn't doing the email help. I was training. And eventually they moved me out of training students to training faculty, which was a little bit more exciting because I actually got to do my job. But it just didn't fit for me, you know. It, it did not fit at all. I didn't like the training. I didn't mind writing the formats and the modules, but I just got I just like what I like doing. And that wasn't something I loved doing. And eventually, uh, I, I kind of uh, cried to the management and said, can I go back to my old job, which was working at the computer lab? And they said yes, because, you know, it just wasn't a right fit, you know. And that's funny, even back in college, I knew that wasn't a good fit for me. Well, then the next project I worked on was we had the rollout of the IBM. God, I don't even remember what computers they were. But our university was part of the university laptop program with IBM, and we had hundreds of laptops. It was all the students were going to get them. This was in 1997 or 8, I think. And all the students got laptops that were in the freshman program, and we had to do kind of like a, um, oh, what was it, uh, assembly line, all of us techs on getting these uh, laptops set up, and my job was to set up the Outlook Express for them. So I had to go create all the student freshman accounts, and then I had to go set up their Outlook Express for them. And back then, that to me was like, I loved Outlook Express. <laughs> it was my thing. And then I got to train that, the Outlook Express. And then at that point, things started in the computer lab, you know, kind of started shifting 
from more of a cool laid back atmosphere to now that we had laptop university going on, they brought in a uh, real strict manager who was a nice guy, but he was just more business oriented and things just kind of went in a different direction than I guess I liked. And I ended up moving to the job at our brand new library, becoming the student lab supervisor and there, it was just more of an atmosphere that totally fit me, was uh, running the, basically, it was a small lab, like 30 computers, and it was the brand new library, and we had all the cool technology, and I remember, <laughs> so silly, <laughs> I remember uh, we did not have Windows 98, we all had 95 still, but two of the computers had NT on it, and I remember, was I was starting to research jobs for because I was graduating soon. And I remember going, oh, a lot of people want NT experience. And, and, I, and I remember going, I want NT. I want to know about it. And uh, it was kind of like when I was first in college in the first few years, I remember asking this guy, Barry, I want to download something. What is it? <laughs> I didn't know what downloading was. <laughs> he had to tell me. It's just something you take off the internet and put on your computer. And I was like, well, what do you do? Like what? <laughs> like now we just download without even thinking about it. But back then those technology words kind of excited me like down download and things like that. And then, you know, I was like, I said, I was doing research for jobs cause I was graduating soon and NT was so big. And I was like, well, what's the difference? And the texts were like, Lisa, it's really no different. It's just a different operating system that does more things for networking and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I don't want to do any of that. So why waste my time learning NT? And they were like, yeah, there's nothing to it. And that was kind of the time where I was thinking about learning hardware. But there was a a woman that worked there that she always, I think, kind of appreciated that I liked just software because she did all the hardware. And whenever I'd try to have her teach me, like even to install floppies and stuff, I think she just kind of like, push me to software because you either get it or you don't, you know, and there's a lot of people that come from software worlds that never will understand hardware and vice versa. And that was me. So basically the last, uh, year of my college time or year in college, I spent working at the computer lab. Uh, during that year, I also founded, and helped uh, publish an underground newspaper, which of course I used reams and reams of paper with the laser printers at the library <laughs> and actually got half my staff to help me staple them together. <laughs> that to me was a great use of college uh, time and knowledge was to put together a newspaper and uh, we called it Censor This. And it was all just garbagey fun college stuff with pictures and we just uh photo not photoshopped but just you know made our own graphics real silly things that was fun and then uh, my senior year i also worked on i took a website class and i didn't and i was a criminal justice slash law enforcement major so i remember that they wanted me to do a uh um what's it called when you I have to intern for a quarter. I told my my counselor, I was like, I don't want to intern doing stupid things I don't want to do when I get out of school. You know, like a lot of the people had to do like, I don't know, just internships that they didn't like either. And I said, can I create my own internship? And she goes, well, if you can find one that you would really do well at. And, and I found one actually being uh, a Probation officer's intern. Not no, sorry, not probation officer. Welfare fraud intern. And my my counselor said, "Well, Lisa, no one's ever done that before, so I don't think this is going to be good for you. But you can talk to them and see if you get it. And if you do, I want you to do another internship." I said, "Okay, fine." So I did get the welfare fraud internship, but it wasn't enough hours to fulfill the requirement. So then she said, "Well, look, I have another project for you, and here's what I want you to do." So here's me. Barely, very little website knowledge. I was just taking a website class, and she asked me to redo the sociology, the criminal justice, geography, and sociology websites for the college. 
And remember, I just took one class on Netscape on how to do websites. That's all I knew. And none of it was coded. All of it was just done through the Netscape. Gosh, was it called Communicator? Do you guys, if anybody remembers, Netscape Communicator, I think. It was just like a, you know, a tool you could use to make websites. And I spent my whole semester working on those websites and launched them. And to me, they still... To me, that was the pride and joy of my senior uh, senior year was putting together that website in the underground newspaper and working in the computers. And I just kind of felt really, you know, like fulfilled at that point. Like I was doing cool stuff that I really liked doing. And to me, that's the value of, you know, when you go to college and stuff. And then during the um, the final of my senior year, I got to start looking for jobs because I was going to move back to Minneapolis. And I'm going to end the story at this note. This is 1999, and the biggest thing, the biggest hype was Y2K, prepping for Y2K, getting the computers ready, getting the floppies in there, and getting the patch, and nothing happened, (laughs) okay? So in 1999, I was starting to look for work, and because the Y2K scare, a lot of people were leaving their sales jobs and everything else to go work in technology because that was the next big thing. It was the gold rush. And then after nothing happened, after school got out, all these, or sorry, um, after Y2K, the job market changed because nothing happened with Y2K. So all these people who left their sales jobs to go be techs, they didn't have any experience. But see, I had experience for four years working in college. So I literally just flooded the internet with my resume like Monster and, oh man, there was a few of the big ones, I forget. But back then there were good jobs. And there was a lot of them. And then I started realizing, wow, I'm not really as qualified as I thought to do the help desk. I mean, it kind of seemed to fit what I was doing, but I was missing a lot of skills and I did not know. And so I would just, you know, blankly apply and just uh, hope for the, hope I got an interview. And I did get a lot of interviews, but I didn't know a lot of the technology and I felt underqualified. But uh, next show, we will talk about my first corporate job out of school. And that is more fun than the college years, I think. All right, folks. Uh, I think we're good to go on this show. Let me see my notes here. We had no guest. And like I said, I didn't have very many stories, but I uh, just really wanted to um, just talk more about that Office 2016. And I hope it's. I hope I didn't sound scatterbrained, but I'm really trying just to let techs understand of the problems I'm having and how to resolve it quicker and the show on the notes, I'll or excuse me in the show notes. I'll have the list on my blog, and you guys can check that out. All right, you guys, that's it. This has been a Heyman Hendrickson production. Audio supported by Mitch Heyman. Thank you to our sponsor, AppRiver and Podbean, for hosting. If you have a story to share and you want to be a guest, please contact me, Lisa at callthatgirl.biz. You can check out the show notes at callthatgirl.biz/office365, and you can also check out my six eBooks at callthatgirl.biz slash publications. Thanks, you guys. See you next week.